Hey there, everybody. We're producing this show as we learn of the tragic passing of Quiet Riot drummer Frankie Benali, passing away at age 68 after a brave battle with pancreatic cancer. Also receiving late word of Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist Jack Sherman. He died at the age of 64. He's on the first Red Hot Chili Peppers album, a legend in his own right. We remember them as the rock and roll celebration never stops. And now, a show on the go. We are talking metal in a car, which is made of metal. That's right. Listen. Hey, hey, Mom, we're taping a show. Can I call you back? Okay, is everything okay? Okay, sorry. She hung up on you. Your yeah, mom hung up. I know, she did. Holy sh- Alert, alert. You know what time it is. It's time for the show! Hey everybody, listen up, this is Dee Snyder. Yeah, you know me from Twisted Sister. And you're listening to Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. After all these years, for the love of metal, yes! live, D. Snyder, in honor, honor of our guest, D. Snyder. Boy, I've been waiting for this interview. I was, we were, I was trying to get this interview for so long, <laughs> and uh, it's just a matter of scheduling and everything else, but so glad we were able to make that happen. And uh, D. Snyder on the show. We've been teasing you with bits and pieces, him talking about uh, the, new, the new ACDC album uh him talking about uh you know some politics and everything else uh but uh we've got some good stuff he covers the early years here the vinyl master's with me hey welcome in everybody how you doing my brother you guys are gonna love uh this interview uh, we got a action-packed show yeah. for you here yeah, we, we really do. do yep uh dave always says that i figured i'll say it this time <laughs> uh childhood hero yeah. Just a rock god, yep. legend, D. Snyder, so cool, and yeah. just a fantastic guy, and a great interview. Yep. You're gonna want to hear this. Yeah, growing up, I mean, for me, it was Twisted Sister music, of course. You know, honestly, it was my first exposure to metal. It was as a kid watching Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure when they yeah. had that scene where they were <laughs> shooting, uh, I guess, a version of uh, Burn in Hell. Yeah, and uh, I never thought I'd be talking to the guy in high school. I listened to The House of Hair on uh, Riff Radio in Detroit. I still listen to that show. You know, just clips of it online. And uh, and to to hear D introducing this program is just like full circle and just a total trip. Super super cool. And he's such a sweet guy, like you said. You and know? he's got a rip roaring live record. Yeah. D Snyder for the love of metal. Yep. On Napalm Records. Mm-hmm. Um, Great label. Great track. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just. Uh, and it's a it's a DVD and Blu-ray too. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole package. Yeah. And uh, we've got Twisted Sister songs. We've got D songs and. Uh, he's, he's been busy, man, this yeah. past year. Yeah. And uh, he has a lot to say, so. Yeah, that's uh, that's all coming up and uh, so much more. Woo! Mm.
Music news in the form of record releases, and Shane, this is some of the best stuff uh, that I think you've come up with so far. Thanks to Instagram, you found some really cool things here. This, dude, this is this is insane. Um, yeah, we just started our Instagram page, folks, so please yeah. uh, come on, hop on, like us. Uh, yep. We're posting some uh, record collections, this, that, and the other, all kinds of stuff for you to check out. Uh, yep, at little Rock tidbits and, DK. and uh, teases for, for our show, uh, with the uh, first one being with D, which mm -hmm. of course is this show. D Snyder, oh yeah. <laughs> no, but, yep, that, um, that page is uh, real quick. It's uh, at Rock Nations DK, and uh, you get all the Vinyl Masters stuff on there, and uh, uh, little old me as well. And this is fun, man. We're getting yeah. some followers uh, pretty quick, you know. So we, yeah, it's cool. It's going up fast, and That's we'd it. love to have you on board with us. Absolutely. Uh, but yes, we got uh, <clears throat> from two of the, the pages we're following. We found out Alice Cooper is uh, releasing a wicked mm. uh, seven-inch single. Uh, it's a final picture disc, and it's produced by Bob Ezrin, yeah. who's oh, been legends. working without Alice since the beginning of time. Exactly. Oh. Uh, using remote technology, they recorded this track. Don't Give Up is a spontaneous reaction to the challenges facing us all right now, according to his link. <clears throat> uh, Alice Cooper felt the need to talk directly to his fans from isolation in his home where he's working to finish his upcoming new album. Not sure if this song is on the new album. I, I have a feeling it's probably not. Um, it is Alice's shout out to keep our heads high, mm. stay strong and fight back together, according to the press release. And says, Alice, Don't Give Up is out today. It's a song about what we've all been going through right now and, and about keeping our heads up and fighting back together. Very cool. Just like that motorcycle. That's it. Yeah, that motorcycle. Not giving studio. up. Never giving up. Needs more Pedals diesel to the metal. whatever it's running on. Yeah. So I, I listened to it. It's pretty cool. Um, it's it's uh, there's like some spoken word thing off the top. Okay. Um, and uh, he's really trying to um, you know evoke evoke some uh, emotion from people. And yeah. It's obvious that it's 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 hit him pretty hard. And it's probably hitting all these bands pretty hard because this has got to be really weird for them at this point. Oh my gosh. It just drags on. I mean, <clears throat> a whole leg of touring would be done by yeah. now, right? A whole leg at yeah. least, I think. Because yeah. their whole life is like uh, record, yep. uh, Play the game. rehearse, yep. tour. Record, mm -hmm. rehearse, tour. And uh, Alice has been pretty busy the last few years. He's got multiple bands, Hollywood Vampires, mm -hmm. Johnny Depp, some other stuff. And, yep. uh, you know, it's just been really interesting um i think it's cool that he released something and uh, we haven't heard from alice in a little while by himself yeah. so excellent good stuff and uh the other release uh that we find is newsworthy is it's the 30th anniversary of wind of change yes and we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, the whole cia that, yeah the podcast <laughs> um there was a reporter uh, magazine reporter who really traced the story all the way up to Klaus Mana himself. Yeah. Did the CIA write that song for the band uh, during what was really the fall of uh, the uh, Cold War? You yeah. know? Uh, and there are some interesting dynamics in that podcast. It keeps popping up on my player again. Yeah. And I heard it already, but it's uh, it, it, it's a good listen. I, I, we, I think we, we confirmed, right? It is a CIA agent that's whistling. It, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, right. <laughs> At the yeah, beginning of the track. Yeah, yeah. But that, other than that, <laughs> it's not. So. Yeah, they had, they had a long day off uh, one day, nothing to do, and was, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, just to make a long story short, uh, it's the 30th anniversary and there's a deluxe box set coming out in October. They just announced it on their Instagram page. The Scorpions are very excited. It's a, this is a special anniversary edition is hand numbered. It's limited to 2020 units. Mm. Catchy. Yeah. And features an 84 page hardcover book with rare and previously unseen photographs, vocal and piano arrangements, a piece of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Wow. And five versions of the song, including one unreleased on CD and 12-inch LP. I saw um, cool, when the cool that cover, is that it? is a really cool cover. Yeah, I tell you, I felt the emotion. Uh, I went down to the museum, which sadly I think it closed. But uh, in going down to the museum in Washington when it was open, they had a piece of the of the museum there, and it was really amazing. Yeah, it was emotional. I mean, I just can't believe that. that place is closed. I know, which is a shame. That that, that alone is a travesty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hope somebody. Uh, but I guess obviously um, that happened before COVID, yeah. right? Yeah, the, yeah, that was um, back in February, I yeah, think, earlier right this year. There. And so I mean, yeah. the chances of it are even yeah. at this point. I mean, sure, everything was whisked away and put in storage, but yeah, uh, incredible museum. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone should have had a chance to go to it and check it out because it is just it's living history and yep. wow, yeah. I'm grateful to have uh, experienced it. Well, we've had a rough, another rough week uh, with uh, Pat, the passing of numerous people. Uh, Martin Birch, producer extraordinaire, uh, yeah, and uh, and Pete Way of UFO. Yeah, Martin Birch. Um, find it here. David Coverdale had a beautiful tribute. Um, you know, just an iconic producer who's been on so many uh, records. Um, this is from the Guardian. I can pull this up if yeah. uh, you're cool with that. Um, Absolutely. We Martin, love the Guardian. Yeah. yeah. Martin Birch producer for Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, and more dies at age, age 71. Uh, Martin Birch, the producer who, whose bright but heavy sound was applied to classic albums by Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and more has died at 71. No cause of death was announced. Whitesnake frontman David Coverdale tweeted, it is with a heavy heart. Uh, I've just had uh, verified my very dear friend and producer Martin Birch has passed away. Martin was a huge part of my life, helping me from my first time. Uh, we met through Slide It In, uh, until Slide It In, a great album. Uh, my thoughts and prayers to his family and friends and fans. Um, Birch was uh, born in uh, Surrey, England in 1948 and uh, worked uh, first as an engineer, earning early credits on debut albums by The Faces and Wishbone Ash, yep. plus, of course, uh, Jeff Beck's uh, Beckola. Yep, great uh, album. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also began the first of many long-standing band relationships with Fleetwood Mac, working on five albums between 1969 and 1973, and Deep Purple, working on 11 albums with them, including two uh, UK number ones, Fireball, and of course, Machine Head. He continued working with Wishbone Ash, engineering their prog classic Argus, and from the mid-70s established his pop-leaning hard rock and aesthetic where heavy rhythm sections and intricate guitar lines, I mean, really came together, just so right. cool. Uh, often two at a time would be uh, rendered in great clarity. Um, he also worked in multiple albums with Rainbow, Blue Oyster Cult, and Whitesnake and helped Black Sabbath freshen up their heavy metal sound after Ronnie James Dio took over uh, from Ozzy Osbourne on vocals. Birch produced their albums uh, Heaven and Hell, mm. 1980, and Mob Rules, 1981. Bassist Geezer Butler said he was, quote, really sad to hear of Birch's death while Dio's widow, Wendy Dio, said he was a genius producer and a very dear friend of Ronnie's. May he rest in peace. Yes, he was. Um, and uh, Birch's most enduring partnership, though,
though, came with Iron Maiden, uh, who he started working exclusively with in the 1980s, uh, beginning with their second album in 1981, Killers. Birch produced a string of nine classic albums until 1982's Fear of the Dark, three of them reaching the UK's number one, including the classic The Number of the Beast. Uh, yes. <laughs> Oh, Earth and Sea. No. Yep. <laughs> um, Birch uh, described them, Iron Maiden, as, quote, my favorite band to work with. Um, uh, there is a great unity, and nobody tries to stand out individually from the team with six players there. But uh, I want to go back to Coverdale's yeah. tribute road to because this, this really touched me, you know, because that's when I first found out about it. David, Co David Coverdale tweeting, um, it is with a very heavy heart I've just had verified, my dear very dear friend and producer Martin Birch has passed away. Martin was a huge part of my life, helping me from the first time we met until uh, slided in my thoughts and prayers to his family, friends and fans. I mean, it just, that's, I don't know, I could, I sort of read that in Coverdale's voice and it just yeah. felt very emotional because the rare times that Coverdale is emotional, you can hear it in his voice. And anyway, yeah. I just wanted to get that out there again, but uh, yeah. It's really, uh, it's really a shame because uh, his talent was immense and, he was on such a roll there at the in the late seventies yeah. into the early to mid eighties. Mm -hmm. He kept going, obviously, with Iron Maiden. But I mean, he's produced many of my favorite records. Yeah, and um, God bless him, man. Deep Purple alone. I mean, those are just you know, earth-shattering yeah. influence. You know, and uh, he brought he brought such a gift, I think, to Sabbath because two of their, in my opinion, two of their best-sounding records yes. were were Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules mm -hmm. and. Uh, I don't think he did uh, Born Again, did he? I don't think so. I think he moved so. on from that. Uh, let's see. That one's always kind of like the stepchild that's kicked under the bed. Yeah, and I mean, some songs <laughs> like Deserving the Priest, I really liked that, but the production was not, I don't think it was very strong on that one. No, it was a Black Sabbath and Robin Black. I'm not sure who Robin Black yeah. is. But, um, you know, Jeff Nichols, I think, who came in, he passed away some years ago, but he came in, I think, doing bass guitar. When Geezer left, it was reported. Then he went over to keyboards, and he really delivered that that amazing keyboard sound kind of eerie especially on songs like die young you know yeah um just incredible production uh or just incredible talent to work with um, but absolutely rest in peace and really a double whammy with pete way yeah this has been a rough rough uh mm. week uh, <clears throat> pete way um uh, bass player and founding member of ufo um passed away on the 14th uh age 69 and uh just going way too soon and, and of course the rock community um, had a lot to say because um, Pete was um, in so many bands and he also helped so many bands uh, Dee Snider actually who is uh, in the show um, posted a video uh, where he was breaking up and um, Pete produced uh, Under the Blade yep. uh, you know and mm -hmm. he basically uh Introduced the boys to the biz, and yeah. you know, except for Mark, of course, who's with the dictators. But right. um, he introduced the, the boys to the biz, and then he basically uh, taught them the ropes in the studio as well. So yeah. I mean, D was eternally grateful, and uh, it was just a really beautiful message that, that D put out. Um, yeah, on it was House touching. of Hair, mm -hmm. and um, some other some other um, Shaker <laughs> had a really. Uh, touching tribute to Michael Shanker too. Yeah, um, he basically it was kind of funny the way he said it. He he was like uh, Pete started us and then he introduced us to Lemmy. <laughs> yeah. And Lemmy took over, and <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. And you know both of them are gone, but yeah. Um, Nikki Six, uh, same thing. Um, 
Nikki Six said uh, that um, he took a lot away from, with Pete and um, Getty Lee, of all people. Mm. Uh, said fond and hilarious memories from touring together. I once asked Pete about his bass sound, and he said, "Well, Glee, it's uh, three three quarters good and one quarter not very nice." <laughs> <laughs> I have so many fond and hilarious memories of touring with Pete and UFO back in the '80s. A true rock and roll character, always taking the piss, as they would say in his homeland. Mm. Pearl Jam's Mike McCready, who plays in a UFO tribute band. I did not know that. Flight to Mars. Yeah. Wow. Wrote on Twitter. Quote, sad to hear of one of my favorite bass players, Pete Way from UFO died today. UFO's live album, Strangers in the Night, is one of the best, yeah. and I'm grateful that record helped me grow up in music and as a guitar player. Mm. So he was a big, big influence. Uh, Tesla, Tesla's Brian Wheat described Way as a friend and a hero. He was my hero when I was a kid. I just wanted to be just like him. To this day, I still play my Gibson Thunderbird because of him. Nikki Six said the same thing. Uh, we became very good friends, and every time I saw him, he would always make me laugh. I'm really glad I got to see him last year. Uh, rest in peace, my dear friend. Don't chase too much trouble up there. Mm. Uh, just, and there was always these amazing pictures. I'm yeah. not sure if actually that is a Jim Marshall picture or not. Could be, yeah. It could be, um, but uh, yeah, it's... He just had a great uh, stage attitude and presence, too. You know, like, just he... Well, yeah, he just knew how to rock the bass, you know? You, you like, gotta be really something special when you're the bass player of a band yeah. and you command more attention than the singer. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> and the guitarist yeah. and everybody else. And Pete did that. Yep. And Pete was also in Fast Way with Fast Eddie Clark. Uh, a phenomenal band. If you ever if you ever uh, follow metal and you've never heard them, definitely check them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, they were just as big as anything else. He also toured with Dozzy on the Diary of the Madman tour. Um, and he had a band that I I really loved. Um, I, I This was probably one of the last really hard metal albums I got. And then I got into the new wave post punk kind of, yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, was Wasted. Mm. Uh, spelled W-A-Y-S-T-E-D. Mm. Um, definitely check out their stuff. Clever. Um, yeah. They were... Um, a really interesting hybrid type metal band mm. very very different and uh, they had a completely different sound mm. and uh, they had a song called voices which to this day there's nothing sounds like it nothing I, you know and I just uh, God bless man Pete Pete was a big part of my childhood he's a big part of a lot of people's childhood and and um, you know Metallica is even grieving about it uh, they played Dr. Doctor before yep. every show yeah that's right and I think what Maiden Maiden did yeah too. Maiden too yeah yeah so I mean uh, did we ask we asked somebody Pete, about that too we asked was it KK Downing or we asked we talked to somebody I about think so yeah about like uh, yeah because it seems like that was something a lot of bands were doing you know yeah. were playing yeah this is a great song so uh, next time we talk to Rudy we'll have to ask him about Pete yeah. Pete's style because uh, I know he influenced a heck of a lot of people mm -hmm. and I'm sure that Rudy listened to some UFO records yeah, yeah. too well UFO was just for everybody I mean it was like just one of those like every music musician from that era just loves it's one of those bands they all love you know yeah i think uh, like mata hoople's another one of those bands like just everybody says that like that was whether it's a singer whether you're a guitarist certainly guitar or bass like everybody just loves ufo you know and, and that's what got me you got me into them uh, i mean i knew some of their songs lights out dr doctor but i really started just getting deeper into the just the 
the ambience of that sound and just the rawness too. I was like, man, these guys just cook. They they just yeah. cook. Yeah, you know? Andy Trunk uh, was close to uh, Pete as well, and he posted about uh, mm. he posted the song Cherry, mm. which uh, is on a later record. And uh, do yourself a favor, folks. Just just listen to the track. Mm. I mean, they weren't just a a singles band they were an album band mm -hmm. and uh, there aren't many album bands around anymore but you could pretty much guarantee that when you went to the store and you picked up a ufo album you were not going to be disappointed yeah and uh, even the mid 80s stuff which is you know kind of by some people by critics you know kind of tossed aside i find that i go to them just as much now as i do the early stuff so mm. i uh can't say enough about Pete and uh, really wish we could have had a chance to talk to him. I know. That was something we were working on, but it just wasn't working out. Yeah, and, sadly. Uh, it, Pete was in declining health for a while, and uh, some people knew, some people didn't. Yeah. And unfortunately, we, we weren't in to know about it. And yeah. It was kind of like Martin Birch, too, because I had reached out um, maybe about a year ago to try to get him. And uh, again, I don't know what the health situation was then, but you know, he was on that list and never really heard back and, and then you know sometime later you hear this and it's it was it was like that with Rick Ocasek too was, yeah. you know I mean, we were close you know close to you know really I think getting him but it just uh and any money yeah, and any money. money yeah that's right yeah because his agent wrote, wrote back and said uh yeah Eddie Money's not doing interviews now and you know we wanted to see how he was doing because we knew that he he was sick but um but he was yeah, yeah, like a month later. Yeah, a month later. Time. Yeah, just horrible. But uh, 1982, Under the Blade, Twisted Sister. Uh, it's, oh man, it's just such a great freaking album. It is, yeah. I was listening to it uh, earlier, and uh, plus oh. I kind of plugged in the um, uh, Behind the Music, you know, yeah. and they kind of, they talk about all that, and just what a brilliant, Pete Way, brilliant production on that. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. and D, D um, again, you know, just, that really ripped rip, rip me up. Yeah. Did I? Uh, I will admit. Uh, but if you're a fan of Twisted Sister, yeah, we've got Dee Snider and boy, uh, Dee Snider talked about everything, and uh, that is coming up on the other side. Yes. of metal and radio and more <laughs> metal and more radio and songs in the radio and talking about songs in the radio D Snyder we are not worthy but Woo! we're going to indulge anyway yeah. uh, one of my favorite interviews of the year and that's and there's a lot on that list but it's so cool uh, D Snyder checking in uh, from California and amazing so, guy what an amazing guy we had a great chat about the early days of metal uh, the 80s, the heyday. Uh, you talked about everything. Everything, man. man. You know, some other bands you were talking about, too. Very, very uh, enjoyable time. And I just really like to thank him for, for coming on and talking with us. Yep. Uh, front man of Twisted Sister, Bent Brother, Desperado, Widowmaker. I can't mm -hmm. go on, I can go on, I can go on. Kings of Chaos tour. Yep. Um, he's the man. Yeah. We love him. Uh, 
you've you've got to know Twisted Sister. If you don't know Twisted Sister, I don't know what to tell yeah. you, but you better pioneers learn yeah. about Twisted Sister. They mm -hmm. they were a groundbreaking metal band that just totally changed the entire scene when yep. when other bands were getting uh, I don't know what the word would be stale. Mm -hmm. Here comes this band. Makeup and uh, hair, Full big hair, makeup, yep. hair, you name it, and uh, they changed. They just his voice mm -hmm. alone, yeah, just uh, destroyed MTV mm -hmm. and uh, multiple hit singles. Uh, Stay Hungry was a massive record. Yeah, uh, I got I got lucky. I got a chance to see him in uh, Philly at the Spectrum in 1986. Um, he remembered that show. Yeah, yeah he, he remembers was the about show. It, yeah. and, and it just yeah. It, I can't say enough about Twisted Sister. I mean, let, let's go through the song, shall we? Oh, yeah. He's such a great <laughs> songwriter, too. I mean, his writing is just, um, you know, he talked about really how he developed as a songwriter. I, I went back, I watched the um, Behind the Music uh, documentary, too, and he met, met up with J.J. French and kind of criticized some of J.J.'s stuff. And yeah. J.J. said, what have you written? And, and uh, D was like, <laughs> nothing yet. And then yeah. J.J. said, well, shut your mouth until you write something. <laughs> Bad boys of rock and roll, run for your life, sin after sin, shoot them down, destroy yeah. under the blade, tear it loose. That's just the first. Yeah. <laughs> the kids are back. One of my personal favorites. Power and the glory. I am. I'm me. Ride to live, live to ride. We're gonna make it. Mm -hmm. I'll take you alive. Yeah. Stay hungry was the big boy. We're not gonna take it. Obviously, the biggest song of mm -hmm. probably the '80s, huh? I One think so, a, just a total anthem. It's got to be in the top 10. Yeah, it's, it's got, the video, I mean, it's got like, what, 189, something, how many views? Did, yeah. uh, it's got millions, I mean. Yeah, your favorite, yeah, Burning yeah. Hell. Uh, I Want to Rock, another massive single, The Beast, SMF, which, mm -hmm. what's that mean, Dave? Uh, <laughs> let's skip that. Can't <laughs> not, I was going to say, almost 199 million views. Yeah, we're not going to take it right there. The extended mix. Very and good. the killer ballad, The Price. So, I mean... And we could go on and on. There's so many more records come out and play. Love Us for Suckers, Still Hungry. And uh, a great one I actually have. This is freaking awesome. A Twisted Christmas. Did oh, really? No, yeah. I haven't. It's, <laughs> it's, it's freaking awesome. It's a hoot. <laughs> yeah, it came out in 2006. Um, they went in and it was just, uh, I was like, absolutely. Come to mm. daddy. <laughs> and where they cover everything from White Christmas, Silver Bells. Oh, man. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. It's, it's really good. And Heavy Metal Christmas with to check that out. The Throne lyrics. And highly recommend. Get it all, man. Yeah. But uh, we've got D. There he is. Yeah. Woo! Nice. Snatter, how you doing, man? This is really cool to talk to you after all this time following you online and Twitter and everything. Well, when we met many years ago, it uh, was uh, your 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 true dedication to things I do, awareness and knowledge of all of all my projects impressed me. Uh, so, and uh, we've kind of you know through social media, we've we've stayed in touch over the years. So, yeah. happy to talk to you. Hey, and uh, you um, you keep us all abreast of what's going on, and it's we truly appreciate it. Uh, we call him the Vinyl Master. My colleague uh, Shane, he'll be here in a in a second. Um, you know, first of all, just I, I guess how are you doing right now? You know, this whole lockdown thing it's it's been a drag, I think, for everybody. How are, how are you making out? Well, the you know uh, I'm I'm blessed to live in multiple places, and one of the places we live. Uh, part of the time is Belize in Central America. 
Uh, we have a house we built a number of years ago on the beach. Sorry, I'm not rubbing it in, but I am a rock star. And uh, and uh, when things went south, I remember I remember the day. It was uh, everybody remembers March 12th. You know, uh, it's like a, it's a day that will live in infamy. Uh, we were in, or March 11th maybe, we were in at our place. We live in Vegas also, and at our favorite restaurant, and the town was jumping. And there was word, you know, that this thing was happening in other countries, but everything seemed totally normal. And um, so my wife and I were talking to the owner of the restaurant, Gino, Ferrara's oh. restaurant, by the way, highly recommended. It's just off the strip when things are back to normal in Vegas, Ferraro's restaurant. And I said, wow, I said, you know, you wouldn't know there's any problem at all. And he goes, this is it. And I said, what do you mean this is it? He goes, well, when this convention leaves town on Sunday, there are no more conventions until 2021. And oh 60% of the staff, this was on, the, on, May, on March 11th, 60% of the staff in Vegas is being let go. So I just came back from the bank where I was applying for a loan so we could survive. And my wife and I looked at each other, and we said, oh, my God. And we ran. We went to Belize. Now, <laughs> Belize was COVID-free, but, but COVID-free because they locked the borders they made mask wearing mandatory, $5,000 fine, first offense, prison, second offense. Wow. So we were there for four months in a COVID-free country that was being hyper, hyper, you know, like uh, on top of it. And uh, they only had like 20 cases, and those are people trying to sneak in from other countries, Guatemala, Mexico, trying to get into yeah. safe haven. They were being arrested and put in jail. So uh, we were there for four months, but now I'm back in the states. I'm in L.A. from out of from out of the frying pan into the fire. So yeah, uh, yeah. Is, yeah. Shane's on the line. Yeah, hey, Shane, it, Shane. How's it going, Dave? Hey, it's going man. good. The master LP masters here. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> hey, saw you at the Spectrum in uh, 1986. So love you guys. Love you guys. Spectrum. That was a that was a uh, that was a. Uh, Incredible show. That was the heyday, man. Uh, so, uh, so you, you've been there. Yeah, we're based in the Philly area. What, what are your thoughts on any memories of Philly uh, over the years? I'm sure you guys have played here a million times in some form. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm twisted. You know, if those of us have seen the documentary, We Are Twisted Blanking Sister, which, uh, you know, which shows that the band existed for 10 years before the world discovered us in 84. Um, we thrived in the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. And Philly was just on the edge of our, you know, our, our uh, region, so to speak. But once we started releasing records, uh, it became one of the first places we hit. And, you know, what, what an incredible rock town. And I've got, I, I did some time there on WMMR uh, doing nights. Yeah. At MMR, so I, you know, I've got a history and, and a relationship with that incredible city. Love it, love it. Dude, I, I know you guys were influenced by the New York scene and the Jersey scene. Was Twisted Sister? I know. Were you kind of a nod to the New York Dolls? Were you big fans of the Dolls and, and all those bands? Yeah. Well, I was. You know, first of all, I was a huge fan of the New York Dolls. Uh, day one, you know, fan of the New York Dolls and a huge fan of the glitter and glam rock of, of the early 70s, Bowie and, and Alice Cooper, Mott the Hoople, T-Rex, all these Slade, uh, you know, out of England. Um, and the New York Dolls were like the preeminent um, band of that day wearing, you know, full-blown, just pushing the boundaries. Um, 
Now, the band itself, Twisted Sister, formed in 73. I didn't join until 76. In 73, they were absolutely like, we want to be the New York Dolls. We want to be a New York right. Dolls band. And Twisted Sister was formed as a New York Dolls band, type band. And then I joined in 76, loving that stuff, but also bringing my, you know, under my arm, my pile of metal albums and going, yeah, but we got to be doing this too. So, uh, and that's why Twisted became the sort of metal glam band that it, that it was. Yeah, you guys were there kind of in the, I mean, just cranking up the, the, the wattage, uh, just, I mean, I, as you were, I think, uh, just intensifying the vocals, the band, you know, the guitar work just got more and more intense, I felt, you know, especially in those early, those early records, kind of like the four of the 80s hitting everything. You know, you know, it, you know, I came in and I joined an existing band and I said they were, um, I would say, you know, I mean, uh, the glitter rock uh, and the, of the early 70s, the Bowies and, and, you know, bands like that, they rocked, no doubt. They had edge, no doubt. Um, but they weren't truly metallic. And as when I became the songwriter for the band, I started just injecting more and more of my metallic influences into the band. But while keeping an eye on the prize, you know, I mean, you know, we're not going to take it, is pure Slade inspired. Slade is the band who wrote Come On, Feel the Noise, for people who don't know, and wrote Mama Roll Crazy Now, Quiet Ride, yeah. Big Hits, were written by a band out of England. And I was a huge fan, as was Kiss and, and, and Cheap Trick. There were many bands that were huge fans of Slade. And so, you know, I still was, had that big influence for those, those teen anthem things, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dean, we, we're going to do a, a fifth anniversary of his death coming up in January. Uh, what did David Bowie mean to you, like, growing up? What did he mean to you as an artist? Well, Bowie was a huge influence. Uh, again, I'm a, I'm a metalhead, and I'm a glitter rock fan. And he was, you know, pushing those boundaries as well. I mean, pushing them. He was, you know, he was at the forefront of pushing those, those, those uh, androgynous Male, female, you know, the wearing makeup, that whole nine yards. And it's just, it's, it's an interesting picture that JJ, my guitar player, JJ French, loves to show where he was at a New York doll show in New York City and sitting at the table next to him. Now, by the way, he was not even in Twisted Sister at this point. He was just, you know, a, a, a young gun. But sitting at the table next to him in the picture is David Bowie. Um, so, he, so here's, you know, the New York Dolls performing. Bowie's coming down to check them out. And, 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 the, and, the, and, the, and the, you know, and a, a young J.J. French, his huge, his heroes are there. So, you know, and, and for me too, in the suburbs of Long Island, you know, Bowie was that guy. Of course, he went on to become a young American and lost me completely. I could care less about red, put on your red <laughs> shoes. Let's dance. No, let's headbang. What was it like back then when the music scene, you know, it kind of goes one way, then it changes a little bit, the sound would change. I mean, talk about kind of what it was like as a songwriter to try to keep up with that and, and where things were going, you know, stylistically, musically, and, and still make that punch that you guys obviously ended up making. Well, you know, I mean, it's not, I'm not, you know, um, patting myself on the back here, but we didn't adjust or change for anybody. As a matter of fact, we held true. So 
so Glitter Rock, right, is in heyday is like 73, 74. It dies a death. Yeah. I joined Twisted Sister in 76. They're not only thinking they're taken off the makeup at that point, they are also want to change the name of the band. I am from the, I'm a rube. I am a rube from the suburbs. To me, you know, these guys were from the city, you know, the first, the fourth place, first place to get the new sound and the first place to tire of the new sound, you know. But I'm from the suburbs. I'm like, wait a minute, this is, this is important to me still. This is fresh. So I never let up. So 77, 78, the makeup thing, Kiss is taking their makeup off, 79, you know, yeah. and we're still, wearing our makeup we are still like i'm still doing the androgynous thing i'm where i'm still trying i'm still and, and as far as music goes we were refusing to change to fit the times when we started disco was raging in 76 and we're like no way and then you know and uh and we just kept all we did was stay the course so really it may have been kind of stupid and you know in many ways, but everything came around to where we were as opposed to us changing to fit the times and you know people say, "Oh, hair metal, hair metal, you know what I said i don 't really care for the term, but it 's always the critics that make those terms anyway I said but I'll take you know whatever it is. Yeah, I'm the I'm the original hair farmer. I said we were before <laughs> the new before Molly Crew, before Rat, before Poison, before Cinderella. Got so many of these bands opened for Twisted Sister in one form or another. Twisted Sister was carrying the torch into the, through the seventies into the early eighties, and 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 then we took off. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that term hair metal too, and. Um... Because I, you know, I know there's been sort of, you know, some people say, hey, you know, it, it is what the term is. Some people say, oh, you know, it, it's overplayed, and and uh, but it sounds like in a way you wear it proudly. <laughs> well, I guess literally. Well, let me put this. Let me put this to rest. Okay, guys, yeah. let me put this to rest. I I have the answer. You and by the way, you you can't argue with me. Okay, you can't argue this point. I'm 65. Okay, I was day one. We are not worthy. No, no, just listen to me. I was there. Day one Blue Cheer. Day one Kiss. Day one Grand Funk Railroad. Day one Led Zeppelin. Day one Queen. Day one Black Sabbath. I mean, these albums. So I was the first fan. I'm the first guy. It wasn't even called heavy metal. It was called hard rock. And the term heavy metal came out. And it was, a, again, it's, the terms are always assigned by snotty critics. And they do it as a derogatory term. Bands hated being called heavy metal. Zeppelin hated it. ACDC hates it. Motorhead hates it. Black Sabbath hates it. Bands hated being called grunge. They just saw themselves, we just see ourselves as bands. We don't, yeah. we don't see ourselves as, we don't define ourselves. We don't want to define ourselves. We're saying we're making music. And some snotty reporter goes, yeah, you're a punk band. Punk <laughs> was a dirty term. But you have plenty of people from punk bands going, we're not punk. Okay? But what happens is the next generation sort of lashes onto it as an identity. And the name sticks. So no titles for any type of music, including hair metal, were ever voted on by the community and said, we're hair metal. No. Somebody thought they were being, <laughs> they were being smug and go, that's a hair band. You know, ha, 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 ha. And then it sticks. So, you know, so that is just no nicknames. Very rare you pick your own nickname. You know, I knew a guy named Hot Rod, and it wasn't because he had a big one. 
Trust me, it, it was the exact opposite, okay? So any finger of Jada is not because he plays like lightning. It's because he kept cutting his fingers, and we had to cancel shows. So we called him fingers because he kept cutting his fingers. The nicknames are always mockery. They're never meant as a compliment. Right. Right. We, we, uh, we talked to Rock the Boss uh, a couple months ago, and uh, he was reminiscing about that New York scene. I mean, how cool is that scene? In the, the the mid to late seventies, the dictators, Dead Boys, the Dolls, Television, the Ramones, Blondie, all that. I mean, did you go to a lot of those bands? Did you go see a lot of those shows? Zero. It was, that scene was nothing to me. First of all, I was a room oh, from the good. suburbs. This, the city was a scary place. Um, then by the, by, when I moved to the city in 77, I was in Twisted Sister, and we were working five nights a week, you know, uh, 52 weeks a year, and but playing outside of the city and making, and making bread, man. We're making money. We are, you know, in my book, I did some calculations. We were making maybe 50 grand a year cash. I did some calculations. It was like $350,000 a year taxable income. So, so bands in these club scenes playing for thousands, the last thing we wanted to do was go to New York and play for a couple hundred people at best at a stink hole like CBGB's. Now, this said, my bass player, Mark the Animal Mendoza, he was in the Dictators. Um, he was a, he played you know not only play CBGBs and with them and, and all that, but then they got a record deal with with Elektra and they went out and toured uh, with Kiss and ZZ Top and Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, yeah. So he had been all over the world and he used to come see Twisted when he was off off the road. So he told me the tales of that you know of that scene and he hated it. He was a metalhead in a, in a, in a punk band, you know, and, and he hated it. He goes, all oh, those bands, they, they, but, he, but there were some of the bands he respected just because they were badass. The Dead Boys was one of those bands. He totally respected oh, yeah. Dead Boys. He said, Steve Bader's was a badass. Yeah. You couldn't like metal and punk back then. I remember, I mean, it was you either like one or you like the other. It's true, but a very odd thing happened with Twisted Sister because we, I was definitely influenced by punk as well. I didn't go to the scene uh, there, you know, because I was a rube from the Long Island, plus I was working every night. Um, but I, but I was in, uh, if, if I had to pick my Desert Island classics, never mind the bollocks, Sex Pistols would be in that, you know. So there's that influence in there. And uh, when we went over to England, I remember our first, it was before any videos, before any, you know, thing was out, it was just like tapes and stuff. People were hearing tapes. We played super fast all the time. And, um, when our first show at the Marquee Club, there was a very confused room full of, of, of uh, English rock fans, because there were skins, punks, and metalheads. And they were all looking at each other going, are you here for the same band? Nobody really knew what we were yet, because they didn't even have photos to go off of. They just had these tapes they were sharing. So, um, we definitely had that influence, and we're not going to take it has been like an, a punk anthem for decades and decades. Uh, Green Day used to play it every show. They played it at Woodstock. Oh, my God. Classic. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, you were saying you were uh, from the suburbs. I mean, was it like growing up, what was uh, where, I guess, your parents kind of like, what? what is this music? I mean, was what were the older folks kind of saying um, of your parents' generation as that music was was happening, even though it was, I guess it was more in the city, right? 
Well, you know, look, it's, we, you know, there's there's music is at the yeah. at the theaters and and at the yeah. uh, the arenas in, in coming to the suburbs. And I'm, you know, I'm living off the LPs because I couldn't even go to shows till I was 16 or 17. My father, my dad was a cop, vet. You know, very proud of him. My father was, a, my mother was a church lady. Used to teach my Sunday school class. So and you know, and they sort of really pushed back against me because by the time I was eight years old, I'm going to be a rock star. And they did everything they could to slow me down and stop me. Uh, I remember they, my father at one point banned me from uh, rehearsing with my band. Um, this is in Twisted Sister. This is like, you know, high school. Yeah. So I took up jogging. Um, 1972 was a new thing. Yogging. I went, uh, as the anchorman would say, I, I said, oh, I'm going to jog. And, and, uh, and he was like, he'd go, good for you, son. Get out there and exercise. And I would jog to practice. So I would jog to rehearsal. I'd rehearse for, with the band. And then I'd jog home and all sweaty from rehearsal. And he'd go, well, you're really, really putting in the time out there, son. Good for you, son. Good for you. So, uh, yeah, so I mean, they really tried to stop me from pursuing. And I, I realize now, in retrospect, they were depression babies. They grew up yeah. at a very dark time in, in, in the world, and they really thought that I was wasting my life, you know. Uh, but he, he, he said, my father used to say, dreams don't come true. And the uh, <laughs> only thing, you only get anywhere with blood, sweat, and tears. And he was right. But yeah. um, I put the blood, sweat, and yeah. tears into rock and roll, and uh, my dream came true. And now there's a whole generation of people that grew up listening to you, and it's like, you know, now you're that person that people kind of had aspired to be, or, or you know, like Shane said, went to the, you know, the show in '86, and that's really, that's just awesome. What's it like? What is it like to to mean so much to fans and and people who came up listening to your music? You know, it's it, it, art is an incredible thing, and it's so far-reaching, um, and you sometimes don't realize how where you're like who you're touching and I'm not, I'm not just talking I'm talking about filmmaking I'm talking about painting I'm talking about books any of stuff you don't you don't know who you're touching and I remember an, an example of that and and it's it, the answer the short answer is it's like the greatest feeling in the world to know that you affected and changed somebody when it's a positive for a positive way and because my songs were so I really tried to be inspirational in my music. You know, people say, well, how inspirational is we're not going to take it. It was it basically, it was basically saying, stand up for yourself, fight back, believe, you know, you, can, you are somebody, you matter, you count, let your voice be heard. And um, there was a book, guys, called Heavy Metal Islam, w worth the read. You know, and for all the problems in the Middle East, the book is that behind the scenes, crossing all borders, all boundaries, is heavy metal connecting yeah. all those Middle Eastern countries with this with with metal music. And in the book, I'm reading it and I guess they went to visit one of the premier guitar players in like Iran or something and his screensaver on his computer was a picture of me. And they asked him yeah. why and he said because we all owe a debt to Dee Snyder for his fight against censorship. And wow. I was just so blown away yeah. because I I was fighting like records being not kept, you know, racked in Kmart. They are being put in jail for the music they love. They are yeah, fighting for their bad. lives to play heavy metal. And yet what I did had touched them and affected them. So I, it, it's just, it's mind-blowing, actually, when you, when, you, when you hear something like that. 
We'd like to thank D. Snyder for this incredible interview and the chance to talk to him. Uh, Just a we cool have more guy. parts yeah. coming up in the, in the weeks to come. To follow him for all these years on social media and connect uh, finally, it's just great, super cool. But uh, yeah, now we go from uh, the U.S. to Canada. Are you familiar with the label Attic Records? Ah. If you are, that's a clue to the next person we're talking to. Mm -hmm. Amazing three-piece band, Canadian Power Trio. Mm -hmm. Heavy metal legends, mm -hmm. hard rock legends, ballad masters, Rick Emmett of Triumph. Yes, absolutely, and he uh, has eleven solo records reissued, yeah. and uh, and it, there's there's some some sounds that are almost like Triumph, some sounds that are very very different. Uh, he's a virtuoso of a guitar player, of a guitarist, especially with acoustic. I mean, so so many different dynamics. And uh, Rick uh, checked in, and it was just so cool talking with him. He's really doing his own thing. Yeah, yeah. it's it's great to like with Steve Hackett. He's just doing it, mm -hmm. and he's he's done. He did what he wanted to do with with rock, and yep. now he's doing. He's pursuing other avenues, mm -hmm. and um, it was so cool having Steve Hackett and Rick on the show. The same show. Yeah together because they both are kind of almost like the same royalty right yeah yeah, yeah they're yeah. they're guitar guitarist royalty i think they have some of the same influences uh, they're they're brilliant technicians of the instrument too you know it's not just that we're going to scrape a few riffs off here and there but they they love they they speak and emote through the instrument yeah i mean and they yeah. wrote they wrote so many uh you know <laughs> I, I mean i live for the weekend yeah <laughs> Uh, Magic Power, yep. Rock and Roll Machine, the stuff that Rick has been involved with, mm -hmm. and, and Fight the Good Fight. So <laughs> iconic, yeah, yeah. Lay it on the line. So many freaking hits. Yes. Um, they toured with Rush. They did lots of things. Uh, they were all in the Mutual Admiration Society. If you don't know Rick's playing with his double neck. Mm -hmm. uh, Gibson, yep. yeah. Yeah, Gibson. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, mind-blowing guitarist. Mm -hmm. secretly wish that Rick would say yes we're we're back together and we're recording an album but we, we get it and Rick's doing his thing and yep. we really appreciate what he's doing now too yeah and uh, we had a lovely chat with him and uh, without further ado ladies and gentlemen Rick Emmett that Rick your talent is lost in sex Growing up in Detroit, you know, I, I always heard the rock stations from Canada, you know, and uh, there was always, growing up, it was always like, it was you guys, and of course there was Rush, too, and I always wondered just, like, what, what was that relationship like? I mean, obviously, two huge Canadian bands, two huge bands, period, but just, I, I was always wondering kind of what the relationship was like over the years, and, and also your thoughts on uh, the tragic loss of uh, Neil Peart uh, back in January, too. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we always... Uh it was always a thing of respect, and certainly we had a great deal of respect for the fact that their coattails were large. You know, they they had a lot of success 
um, broke uh, at radio in uh, in other foreign territories and stuff. Right. There would be promoters that would say, "Oh, uh, another three-piece hard rock band from Canada. Great. Let's let's you know give this a shot because we know that, that there's a market out there for it." So Rush broke a lot of barriers and. They, they set an awfully high standard as a rock band. Their playing was excellent. The, the quality of their production of their records was unbelievable. Like, they were a world-class band. So, you know, we were doing our best to try to just keep up. And um, Alex came to one of the first bar bankings we did in Toronto and introduced himself. And, you know, we had, we had a beer together at the bar. Like, Alex is a gentleman, he's a class act, mm-hmm. I know him well, we've done workshops together, um, he played on, I did a rock record for uh, Mascot Provoke, uh, a, a European label, a couple of years back, 2016, and Alex came and played a couple of tracks, and he, he's a wonderful, delightful guy, he's a very civilized gentleman kind of human being, and... Um, yeah, I don't know the other guys as well. Neil was a very private kind of human being. I, I met him a couple of times at industry functions where he would show up, you know, get the piece of plexiglass at the stage and then be gone. You know, he, he didn't <laughs> hang around, yeah. he didn't say hi. He wasn't one of those kind of guys. So I didn't really know him well, but mm. uh, was he respected? Oh, yeah, you know, everybody just... Yeah. Uh, tremendous respect there and I think I get along great with Getty but you know Getty's the kind of guy that you know he's had his own life and, and he's a much more intense creative kind of a guy we do get to see Getty a lot when the Blue Jays are playing baseball he's got third row seats right behind the plate so <laughs> we get to see him on TV from the center field camera every day but uh, yeah what do you uh, speaking of baseball do you think we're going to make it through a full season here yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I've, I certainly think we've seen that it's uh, it's perilous. You know, the whole yeah. Marlins thing knocked the crap out of the schedule early on. Yeah. I could see that happening again, you know, um, from Florida teams, Texas teams. I could see it becoming an issue. So, I don't know. I, I think the hockey and the basketball have got it maybe figured out a little bit better. The bubble, but, yeah. Um, you know what? I mean, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I think we live in times where you can't really count on anything. You can't really necessarily say, "Yeah, yeah, this is how it's going to be." We yeah. don't know how it's going to be. It just, as I said before in other interviews, it's like a game of golf. You know, you hit it, go and find where it is, and then you're going to have to play it where it lies. You know, um, yeah. and I think even the baseball season, they're going to have to proceed along those lines. It's all kind of make it up as you go along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. You just have to. It, it's such a strange time. You know, you never know where anything's gonna go right now. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, as, as a touring musician, you're not you're not going a little stir crazy. Well, I mean, as I said, I stopped. Um, played my last American gig in December of 2018. Played my last Canadian gig January of 2019. So yeah. I've actually settled into this whole thing. I got gotcha. you. Um, stir-crazy is, is an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, when the world is such that you can't go to the mall and go shopping, yeah. and, you know, you got to wear a mask when you go to buy your groceries, you know, th- that's a surreal kind of a weird world, and so there's a certain amount of uh, dealing with surrealism. I, I don't think it's made me stir-crazy, because I've always been the kind of guy that if I had 
a pad of paper or pencil and a guitar, I was good because the thing that made me happiest in the world was to write. Right on. You know, just right to be able to be creative. And, you know, in fact, maybe COVID times has made it so that I've got more of an opportunity to be creative. There's less distractions. Okay. I'm also, you know, heavily addicted to watching sports on TV. And, <laughs> you know, so when there's less and less of that, and you're yeah. like, okay, well, I can do more work. I can do more reading. I can do more research, you know. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, has, it hasn't been that bad for me. Um, and, and I've got an incredibly lovely backyard with a pool in it. So, you know, <laughs> if I'm feeling a little stir crazy, I just go for a dip. There yeah. you go. All right. <laughs> Well, uh, Rick, thank you so much for. Uh, well, uh, actually, go ahead. Yeah, Rick, uh, when uh, because you have so many, you're playing so many different styles. I, I just had to ask, like, what what are some of your, who are some of your influences? Who are some of your, uh, the guys that made you want to pick up a guitar, and, and play? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just like anybody my age, uh, I, you know, I probably had a guitar. My grandfather gave me a guitar when I was, what, eight or nine years old, maybe nine years old, ten. Yeah. And then the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan in February of 1964. So I was still ten years old, and but it changed the world, you know. Yeah. And certainly for anybody that was thinking about being a guitar player, it, it changed the nature of that right away. So I had some lessons early on. Uh, very quickly in my life, the world changed from a sort of a Beatles world to a kind of a Eric Clapton in Cream, Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I met guys in my high school that were very much into the whole uh, Yardbirds, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, um, the Blues Breakers albums, uh, you know, Chicago Blues. Yeah, yeah. All of that kind of stuff. So there was... Uh, and I was getting most of it secondhand because, oh, I'd like Jeff Beck and, and Eric Clapton, and then somebody would say, you know, that's that stuff on Blues Breakers, he's, he's copping a lot of Freddie King records. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, you know, that would lead you back to those guys. But moving forward then in my life, along came English progressive bands, and I was like, I love Deep Purple. Like, yes. Blackmore was kind of oh, like man. from a sexy style point of view I thought man this guy's really got a style and he's in a band that I'd love to play in like yeah. the, the heaviness of that band was great and I would have been maybe I don't know 15, 16 years old by that point yeah, yeah. then came the progressive bands then came Yes and Genesis and Channel Giant and, and in America it was Return to Forever there was all this stuff that was very much like the musicians kind of showing off, proving what they could do, but in the context of this eclecticism of, of, of their approach. So Steve Howe was like the biggest role model for me, and by that time I was like 17, 18, yeah, you know, right. and I wanted to have a band that would be like that, and Triumph didn't necessarily end up being like that, but, you know, I would bring a lot of Steve Howe into what I did, you know, acoustic guitars, slide guitars, you know, the whole run the gamut. I, I um, you're talking about sort of guitar influences, and I remember hearing um, th just the way you kind of sustained some of the notes, especially on the the acoustic guitar. It really, it, it really has reminded me of like Peter Green, and you know, and of course, coincidentally, we you know, tragically, we had lost him too. And I was just wondering, like, your thoughts on on him, and just um, and you, you also mentioned you, you mentioned just 
a lot of the British guitar players in general, like Richie Blackmore. But um, you just your thoughts on Peter Green and his style, because I I've heard some. I don't know if it's if it was just if it rubbed off on you or not, but there were just some s similarities that I heard at least in terms of just the sustaining and that type of thing. Well, obviously, Peter Green was a, a cut above some of the other guys at the time because he had more of a kind of a musical, musician-y approach. It was more about the context of the song, the vibe of, and I, I call it prosody, the marriage of where the guitar playing is coming from is marrying to what the lyric is talking about, is marrying to what the groove and the feel of the tune is. Yeah. It, it was very... Um, there was an integrity to what he did that was a real eye-opener for everybody, and that's why so many people wanted to be like him. And then, of course, because he had... Uh, there's been the whole legendary thing of the guitar, you know, the guitar that went to Gary Moore that is now in Kirk Hammett's hand. Yeah. And, you know, that Bring kind it. of added this whole aura of the legendary Greeny, you know, yep. because it's almost like the guitar has become an iconic thing that's worth... You know, more money than Peter Green probably made in his whole life. Yeah. You know, Kirk Hammett's buying the guitar for a couple of million bucks. You go, yeah, okay, well, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of guitars, do you still have your double necks? Oh, yeah. Well, I have one. I have a Gibson that I kept. You know, hardly wear it because it's too heavy on my shoulder. And, hmm. you know, my back and my neck aren't getting any younger. But, uh, yeah, but now when I go guitar shopping, and of course I've never lost the disease, I always want to keep buying new guitars. Um, I always look for the lighter ones. I'm going, no, it's got to be less than eight pounds. It's got to be less than seven pounds. I think it's got to be less than six pounds this year. You know, so. What are you looking at? Like what uh, what kind of grabs your uh, your style guitar-wise these days? Uh, the latest ones I got, I have a the chambered body Telecasters okay. that were custom made. My, my Les Pauls are all chambered ones from the early 2000s. So there mm. were a, a series called The Classics that I really liked because they were all chambered. Okay. So they're really light. But, um, so they sound a little bit more like a 335. They don't, they don't punch like old heavy Les Pauls did. But mm. I don't know. A Gibson Les Paul fits me. It's the right size for my body, mm -hmm. you know. But I have a Godin endorsement, and they've made me a couple of beautiful Supremes. Mm. And uh, the, the acoustic that I use is an acoustic electric. It's an A6. And nice. that's kind of my favorite go-to nice. guitar now. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Rick. You're welcome. It was a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you, sir. Rock of Nations with Dave Ketchum next. <laughs> Do you ever wonder what it's like to be the son of rock and roll greatness? I do. And then to take it a step further, to take pictures, to become a professional photographer and take pictures of your father in their rock and roll greatness. Uh, yeah, this is, this is an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. This, I love this story. It's so cool. This is the story of Zach Woodford, uh, a just a phenomenal uh, photographer, photojournalist out in California, and of course the son of Aerosmith guitarist Brad Woodford. I, I w I've been following him on uh, online on uh, Instagram. He has some tremendous work. Not, pictures tremendous. of the band. Um, he's the official Aerosmith photographer, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but he's done uh, still photography. I mean, you know, um, street photography. Just all kinds of. Really cool stuff, and just a heck of a guy. Very thoughtful too. What did you think? Yeah, you can see the the growth in his work. His eye is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, he he's got it, and uh, he tells us how he got there yeah. as a photographer mm -hmm. and uh, where he's headed. 
and it was just really, uh, he's a really sweet guy and very, very enjoyable to talk to. And we really thank you for coming on, Zach. And yeah. we can't wait to see what's next. Yeah. I really can't. And again, some of his stories just so awesome. <laughs> Here is part one. Shane and I, we talk about uh, how the visual aspect of rock and roll, it's just as important as the music in many ways. We talk about okay. album covers, photography, you know, live band shots, things like that. And I came across your work on uh, Instagram and uh, I said, we've got to reach out to Zach Whitford. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Uh, we're good. It's great to great to talk Very to you. Very good, Zach. Um, what did you see? I mean, I know uh, it's been, you know, I, I, there's probably not a whole lot going on right now, like we talked about before, um, but uh, I was wondering if you could take us back to like that last, uh, you know, that last great picture you took, whether it, it was on the road with uh, Aerosmith, uh, as I guess you could say Aerosmith's official photographer, right? Or uh, just, uh, I mean, tell me about that last photo that stands out to you um, of live musical action. The last photo that stands out to me. I mean, you know, it's funny when you ask that question. Uh, my first instinct is to uh, open my Instagram because it's <laughs> now just sort of become this like visual living journal of, of what was happening in my life at one particular time. Uh, and I look at my Instagram and I see the last Aerosmith related photo is a photo of uh, of Steven Tyler, the singer, and Joe Perry, the guitar player, uh, at the end of the thrust, which is this sort of uh, uh, phallic thing they have coming off the main stage and, and their uh, residency in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny because being at that show, um, I really had no, I really had no uh, inkling or concept like this could be the last time ever. Wow. Um, you know, because we all kind of, everyone heard rumors of, of you know, this this virus but we, you know at that point it didn't seem as something that wouldn't be able to be contained and we were still all very much sort of preparing you know for to come back to vegas which they were going to do and then the band was going to go into a full european tour um which we were all very excited about i know that the band and the crew and everyone involved was actually really excited at the prospect of actually going on a, on a proper tour as opposed mm. to doing the residency where you're it's the same thing every night uh, the only thing that changes is the crowd. Right. right. Yeah, and um, so like, you go back to that. Does it feel like a different world to go? Because we think about the last show that we went to, and you know, yeah. it just feels like there's um, so you know, the that old world. The tool. Yeah. yeah, tool, and I think for you and I was the misfits. Yeah. yeah. But um, does it take you? Does it make you feel like there was just a whole different world to go? You know, I mean, it seems it's what it feels like. Yeah, it does, because, and I find it strange how quickly, at least I personally, and I believe this is affecting a lot of people, but how quickly we've adapted to this, you know, I'll be watching television, I'll be watching a show, and two characters go and meet, and they shake hands, and I'm like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, and even looking at this photo of Stephen and Joe with the crowd in the background, and like, oh my god, all these people are so close together, and so the world officially did change, I yeah. mean... Uh, it, it really did. I, I'd say it, the world changed on the same sort of level that the world changed after September 11th. You know, like after that day, things were never going to be the same. Right. And now after COVID, you know, 
I'm, I'm based on what my brilliant uh, doctor GP tells me that, you know, he says, you know, vaccine will happen, you know, uh, but it will take time, but things will always be different. So mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing to look back at that picture and be like, it's like we were on another planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how, uh, Zach, how have you been as far as like, uh, I, I'm a photographer too. Um, that's my other job, but, um, I, I don't, I'm not doing the kind of art you're doing. I'm more of a, a news type photographer, but it, oh, cool. when you, when you put it away, when you, when you stop shooting, uh, it's like a muscle you gotta constantly use it. What have you been doing, uh, in this off period to, to keep, uh, your, your creativity up? It's funny that you should say that, because uh, I agree that it is one of those things where, you know, you have to keep doing it in order to keep your instrument in tune, so to speak. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, in the beginning of the quarantine and everything, I went into kind of a dark place where I was just, I was not touching my camera. I was, I was depressed. I was, I was drinking too much. Um, and the cameras just had nothing was speaking to me you know and, and it, it, i felt this inherent guilt because uh eventually all this all of these amazing things were starting to occur outside with these protests and all that but i just i didn't have the compulsion to shoot and it had just kind of gone away um it's now come back fortunately and Good. i i clean i cleaned myself up i stopped drinking <laughs> yeah. back to working out um but yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, cause, cause for me, it's like, um, you know, when I'm not shooting for say like Aerosmith, you know, and doing that whole thing, uh, I live in Los Angeles and I shoot for, uh, an agency here, like kind of like a, uh, not a news agency, but we're more plugged into the uh, entertainment world. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, on, on any given day, you know, I'll get a call saying, Hey, can, you know, um, Versace is shooting a party tonight and they have a lot of A-listers there. Can you be there in 30 minutes? Sure. You know, kind of kind of the same vibe as like maybe a, a stringer for, for a newspaper. So I'll go and I'll shoot that, you know, and, and after doing that for a couple of years, you know, um, it, shooting really feels like a job. Right. So I, I, come, I come home and I dump my cameras, you know, obviously work on the images or if I don't have an editor. And then kind of just don't touch them. So I have, I mean, right now I have cameras that are like my working cameras, like, like my Canon DSLRs. But then I have a few other cameras that are smaller and more creative-minded that I can take with me on a day-to-day. Okay. What? Tell us about because we were going through some of your shots. I think it was the Oscars with uh, Spike Lee and uh, Lady Gaga, and just some really iconic shots. I mean. Things that originally I, I think I remember seeing in the the press, like the night after the awards, I I didn't even know who took them at the time, and I mean for you to sort of witness history like that and be a a part of that scene, what's it like capturing those historic moments in in theater and and literally the heart of Hollywood? Well, I, that was shooting the Oscars. I didn't you know because there's all these different. Uh, sort of levels and facets of, of, of being a photographer at an award ceremony at the level of the Academy Awards. You know, there's a whole whole army of guys that are just on the red carpet. Right. Uh, there's a there's a handful, literally handful of people who are amidst the crowd during the actual award show to get stills and reactions and stuff like that. Then there's a small group of 
seasoned uh, photojournalists who get put in what's called the press room. And the mm. press room, the press room is where the the actresses and the actors, directors, etc. They walk into the press room immediately after they've won their award. So, you, so you watch them on stage. They win. Yeah. And then you just see them walk off stage, right? They're mm. kind of just brought <laughs> into a hallway, then right into the press room. So the energy in the room is just so electric because mm. you're there, you're there witnessing firsthand probably this person's greatest moment of their life. Right. And they're they're just elated, and it's so exciting. Uh, but then on top of that, you know, you're still in a throng. There's about forty of us photographers. Fortunately, I don't know how it happened, but that day um, I got a really good placement because it's all a shine mm. and we're on bleachers and I just I was front row. Uh, so I kind of had first command of them. Um, and it was just all these lucky things that had come together. So, and it was a, it had been a dream for me to go and photograph in some capacity at the Oscars. So to, to have done that, I was just <laughs> I mean. It was so thrilling. I was so happy. It yeah. was such a great memory. There's nothing greater than getting good placement. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Right, yeah, that, that just applies universally. Good yeah. yeah. That can make or break your day, pretty much. Yeah, just being in that moment, yeah. Zach, I yeah. just want to let you know that I, um, based on some interviews of yours I read, I, I have four dogs, so <laughs> I like dogs. What, what kind? <laughs> huh? Uh, miniature okay. do- miniature dachshunds. Uh, they're all they're all rescues. We're uh, big. Uh, uh, my wife's in uh, veterinary medicine, and it's something that we just have a passion for. So, yeah. I love your dog pictures, man. <laughs> love them. Your your wife's a vet. Yeah, she's in veterinary medicine. Yes. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Those dogs are awesome too. Yeah, <laughs> they're wild yeah. and crazy, but they're yeah. getting a second. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry, Zach. No, I'm, I'm a huge animal lover. Uh, my whole family, we grew up around animals. Uh, my mom has a farm in Tennessee right now. She has seven or eight horses. She has miniature cows, miniature donkeys, full-size wow. donkeys, dogs, cats. Um, and, you know, so that's uh, that's fun. And yeah, I, I had I had four dogs. I had four dogs with my longtime uh, girlfriend, but. Uh, we broke up, and she uh, she said, "Well, we'll do like a joint custody thing." And I was like, "Okay, that's fine." And then one day, uh, she basically just absconded with them. So oh, I, don't get to oh, see, man. I don't get to see them anymore. Oh man! But sorry to hear that. Yeah. No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm hoping to. I hope. Um, are you thinking of getting another another pup or? Yeah, my girlfriend and I have been looking at. Uh, because the last, yeah, the last, all the dogs I've had have been, at least in my adult life, have been rescued. So mm. we're always kind of looking at the what, what, who's out there. And uh, there's one place that I really love to use uh, here in Los Angeles called the Lang Foundation. Okay. Uh, and they go around to the kill shelters and they take all these dogs in. And if they if they take in an animal that needs surgery, like they'll pay for it. You know, wow. they basically bring them back to life. So the the Lang Foundation is incredible and I, I got all my dogs from there that's, that's probably where i'll go when i'm ready See, that's awesome this is an education for me because i and i've been telling shin i want a dog so badly but i have no idea where to start even with the dog you know i feel like i'm making it harder than it is you know but yeah, you, you, 
you don't know who you're dealing with a lot of the time and, yeah. and it's a lot of these a lot, you know even if you want it from a breeder a lot of these breeders are kind of sketchy and you're not sure if they're running puppy mills inside of their houses right. um but yeah so if you yeah just go look up the the lang l-e-n-g-e foundation okay and they always have an amazing selection of everything from dogs to cats to even horses and if, mm. you know if there's some something that you see that you like they can work it out yeah. and make, you know you can come and pick it up I'd love to fit a horse in my apartment. I don't know if I can. <laughs> is there is there a particular is there, yeah is there a particular breed that you uh, that you like, Zach? Or is there any type of dog that you? My um, my favorite breed of all time are those uh, Australian uh, blue healers. Those those the, the dog that he had in uh, the Road Warrior and Mad yeah. Max Two. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. I, I love those, but I feel like if I were to have one of those, I would need to have a home with a big yard so he could work because those dogs need work yeah. um yeah. i love uh i love brussels griffons i think they're just hilarious <laughs> if you've seen them yeah. um and uh I, growing up um the best one of the best dogs i've ever had growing up was a uh, uh we had a german shepherd oh was yeah they're such great dogs she was just a saint yeah yeah oh that's awesome what about you guys? Favorites? Um, I had, well, my uh, aunt had a Jack Russell Terrier. We used to call him Jack Daniels because he was so crazy. He was just a, he was bonkers, like just bouncing off of walls yeah. all the time, you know. <laughs> but he had passed. They're supposed to be really uh, smart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're real smart, but just, I mean, that one was just all over the place, like all the time. Not not like just when you first came home, but like all the time. I don't know when it slept. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hooked on uh, many dachshunds, Zach. I yeah. I was a kid and I saw one run across a room at a party and he jumped up on a, the couch, grabbed a piece of garlic bread and ran away with it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I want one of those. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. That's great. They're feisty little guys yeah. and gals. But, oh, um, Is it, um, taking pictures of, uh, you know, say animals or, uh, you know, is, is it, do you get a different mood or a different feel? I mean, what's that like as opposed to like, say people and, you know? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, it, you know, it really depends. It depends on the animal. I've, I've photographed everything from leopards in the wild wow. to, you know, Pomeranians in people's laps. Oh, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, most people are going to respond a certain way to a picture of an animal, but if you're able to just, if you're able to just capture something in the eyes of an animal that gives it sort of a humanity, like I, um, mm. I, I photograph these these monkeys that run wild in India and uh, in this part of central India, uh, actually very close to where they filmed uh, Indiana Jones the Temple of Doom. Wow! Nice. But, the, but these monkeys, if you you know, they'll just kind of sit there for for when they're not bouncing all over the place like like Jack Russell's. Um, mm. You'll see them stop and sit, and if you get a shot of their face or just look at their face, that you can almost just see through their eyes this, mm. this sense of humanity and that they're really thinking about something. And I think, I think that's the trick with animals, you know, um, for people to really. And it's it's the same in photographing people. It's really about the eyes. Yep. The the eyes tell so much. Yeah, I had somebody tell me that once, and it's the truth, man. It's always, I, I had a really, really smart photographer say, always try to get the eyes. And there's so many stories in them. And what you do is just fantastic. I, I love your work, man. Um, Thank you so much. How did you, 
when you're growing up with your dad and and you grew up and in, in obviously in a musical family like mm -hmm. how did you get into photography why why aren't you following your dad's footsteps with uh you know guitar and stuff <laughs> growing up um guitars intimidated me I and mean, they still do yeah. um but something never clicked for me i never there was something i, I you know you would think maybe a child with a father who's a musician might want to learn what he's doing in an effort to relate to him on a certain level. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but, uh, you know, I would literally just walk by the guitar and strum the open strings and walk away. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't until I was around... I mean, I listened to music growing up my entire life. I used to have to go to bed listening to music and the earliest i can remember was i would go to bed listening to cindy lopper or hall and oates mm. or michael jackson that was my that was my thing That's awesome. uh, oh, then, okay. I, then i got older and started to become more aware of music and really got into the stuff that was coming out of uh, seattle um and you know like most kids i you know wanted i, I remember going to my dad and saying uh, here's this uh, song called Come As You Are. Could you teach me how to play this? <laughs> right on. And he went, he went, yeah, sure. You know, That's so cool, I started yeah. learning, you know, Nirvana songs and what a bar chord it is. Uh, and then um, during this whole period of time, I should mention that um, my mom uh, was actually a professional photographer. Mm, right. Um, my mom was living in New York City. Uh, this is in the... Uh, mid 70s and she was uh, the assistant to Bob Gruen and I don't know if you know who Bob yeah. is but yep. Bob took the very famous famous photo of John Lennon wearing the New York shirt yep. on the rooftop yeah so iconic my mom, so my oh my god was, what's that no I was just sorry I was gonna say it. it's so iconic it's one of the greats yeah. right it's absolutely yeah. like the definition of iconic photo yeah uh, so she was Bob's assistant so my mom was a photographer and she, she actually uh, once did this incredible photo shoot with Rod Stewart, and, and so she she was good. She had an eye, um, and through that sort of world, my mom became uh, friends with um, uh, this girl named Sorinda Fox. And at the oh, time, wow. Sorinda Sorinda was dating a guy named Stephen Tyler. Mm, yep. And they kind of became acquaintances. She met Stephen a few times, and my mom went to bed one night. Uh, this might have been like 1977, I want to say. And her phone rang at one o'clock in the morning. She answered it, and it was Stephen. And Stephen said, "Hey, uh, my band's going on the road tomorrow. We're leaving at six a.m. I want you to come along and be my assistant. I'll give you thirty. <laughs> wow. I'll give you thirty. I'll give you thirty minutes to give me a response. I'm going to call you back in thirty minutes." So she hung up. My mom panicked. She called all her family and friends. Everybody said no. Hmm. Stephen calls back. She says yes. <laughs> the next the next morning, uh, she goes to sit on the plane, and the guy sitting next to her is Brad Whitford, my father. Wow. And the rest is history. That's so That's cool. amazing. That's awesome. So it was kind of, it was photography that brought me to be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow. It is time for some vinyl. Get that needle on the record. That's oh. it. That's what you do. You know it. The Vinyl Master Shane is here. And he's going from metal to rap, ladies and gentlemen. 
Yeah, um, well, the, I mean, the, this release kind of merits it, Dave. No, yeah, it yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Drop yeah. the mic. We're done. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Call HR. This first release kind of leans itself towards sampling, so I figured I would kind of go that direction. But and uh, it was just announced, um, and we can never have too many of these, especially when they have unreleased tracks on them. But this man, the oh one God. and only. James Brown, baby. James Brown. Thank you, yeah. Dave. I, uh, there's a really, really cool uh, three-CD, uh, I guess you could call it a box set. Yeah, the uh, Take to the out. Bridge. It's called uh, Collected from James Brown with uh, some really, really good um, tracks in it. This uh, includes most of his major uh, hits on Federal, mm. the Federal label, and the Polydor label, and a few later hits on Scotty Brothers, uh, which... Um, really hasn't been a compilation that has included those errors wow. so this is really cool yeah um and these are all the original single versions on this uh, set so there have been some issues with that on, on other releases hmm. so they really went to task yeah on this and um might not be exciting to some people but it's exciting to me no i so. think it's cool i mean it's, it's james freaking brown man james brown you just had the attitude you know let I me mean, just look at these a licking stick part one Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, part one. Uh, Mother Popcorn. Uh, let a Man Come In and Do the Popcorn. Ain't It Funky Now? Mm -hmm. Funky Drummer, part one. Uh, it's a New Day, part one and two. Brother Rap, mm. great song. Super Bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Soul Power. Uh, Get Up, Get Soul into Power, it. Been, that's been in a bunch of movies so, so far. It's used yeah. So many. And these, every one of these songs has been sampled yeah. at some point or another, especially back in the early days. Oh, yeah. Uh, some of the later stuff, Papa Don't Take No Mess, mm -hmm. Get Up Off of That Thing. Love that track. Bit, 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 yeah. Get Up Off of That Thing. Mm -hmm. All right, sorry. Didn't mean that. The Payback Part 1, uh, different mix. That's uh, $5 in a row. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> James has been sampled more than anybody, so I'm sure oh, yeah. somebody will give you a call later this week. Mm -hmm. uh, my Thang. I, I could go on, but it's, uh, gosh, it's over 60, 65 plus 66 Amazing. tracks. Yeah. He, he cranked it out, man. Yeah, he did. He put out, now he, he would make Spotify happy because he put out records like every yeah, six months. Exactly. Yeah. As did the Beatles, mm -hmm. but that was a different era. Right. But they were shorter records too. But Yeah. They're almost like what EPs, the equivalent, equivalent of EPs today, maybe. Yeah. Maybe I get what uh, Mr. X trying to say, but I just think yeah. it's the way he said it. Yeah, <laughs> just the way it came off. It was, uh, yeah. What an idiot. Just <laughs> kidding. We love you. No. <laughs> uh, this uh, next release, of course, is uh, another one of uh, those weird releases that I always like to talk about. Um, and since we're talking, uh, we were talking to Steve Hackett yes, uh, yes. last week and the week before. Uh, I went with a little bit of a prog release. This is considered to be a classic uh, 70s okay, yeah. progressive release. Um, the group Samurai. Did you ever hear of Samurai? Uh, no. Uh -uh. Yeah. Uh, the band evolved from the equally uh, excellent group Web, who I've never heard of. Yeah, me either. Um, and it featured Dave Larson on vocals, T Tony Edwards on guitar, John Eaton on bass. Kenny Beveridge, mm. that's a great last that's name. That's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> give it to Beverage. Uh, Lenny Wright on vibes and Don Fay on saxes Wright, yeah. and Tony Roberts on wow. sax. It's a big band. 
Uh, this was a solo out al solo album. They never did another one. Uh, it's considered a truly lost classic of the progressive era. It was released on the short-lived Greenwich Gramophone label in 1971. Mm. Uh, the album was influenced by the experiments of groups such as King Crimson, Coliseum, mm. but Samurai was more of a mere clone of other bands. Coliseum is, is a classic, I and mean, that's just <clears throat> yeah, the fusion-esque feel to them, you know? Yeah, I, I, and that's, uh, I wonder if uh, Rick Emmett ever heard of this. Yeah, I don't know. He was into that yeah. kind of stuff, too. Very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's different. Should definitely, uh, but anyway, it's been nearly remastered from, uh, they discovered the first generation original master tapes recently and has been expanded to include three live recordings made in 71, and now it's getting officially released for the first time. Mm. The release uh, will also include an illustrated booklet and an interview with Dave Larson. Wow. So, uh, I've heard a lot of things about this through the years. I've never seen it. It's an old school cover too, very old yeah, school. Yeah, very cool. It's Looks like, like a Santana kind of album cover in a way. Yeah, doesn't it a little yeah. bit? So that was the Mighty Samurai, the progressive band mm -hmm. of the week. Uh, this band I am not really a fan of, but I'm going to tell people because I know there are a lot of people that are fans of them. We do a lot of metal on this show. Mm. Uh, it's been announced that in August, the 28th of August, uh, the band White Line will release All You Need Is Rock and Roll. Okay. The complete album set from 1985 to 1991. I was going to say they were like mid-80s, I want to say, right? Yeah. 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 They sure were. Um, I'll be fair to them. Uh, they they <laughs> formed in 1983. Uh, they were Danish singer Mike Tramp. Uh, came to New York City and teamed up with Vito Brada mm. and James you didn't dig that at the time, I guess. It's just too too know. cheesy, right? Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It wasn't cheesy. It was just, I, I'm not a hair metal fan. Uh, so and, many, uh, so many I bands. like bar metal. I like yeah. gritty metal. Um, Early 80s metal, yeah. And it got to a point, Dave, where on MTV, it, it was, that's all we had. That was it? It was wow. just uh, guys spinning around doing pirouettes. and Wow. Kip Winger and like warrant uh, videos everywhere. That that wow. Was it like it, it was that was all there was. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, Mr. Lane with with Cherry Pie. Yep. But at least they had a nice looking model in there. Bobby yeah. Bobby Brown. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was in that. Yeah. Whew. But anyway, uh, the thing that's cool about um, White Line is um, they did open up for a lot of bands. They opened up for ACDC. They mm -hmm. opened up for Ozzy. They opened up for Kiss. Uh, did I say Aerosmith? Nope. I don't think um, so. And uh, they uh, they made the tour circuit with a lot of big bands. And, and that was the uh, resurgence for Aerosmith, too, so... Yeah, and they had big producers like Michael Wagoner. Mm -hmm. um, and their biggest song was a song called Wait. That's right, yep. Which I'm not going to sing. Because it I, was very cheesy, very, you know, arena rock, or just, just very, yeah, yeah overproduced. Yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing. And I, I do like, I got to tell you, I like that era in a way. I mean, I like the rats, rats <laughs> and the great whites. and But but then it, it did get a little bit too much. It's like, because they all sound the same, you know? And they were all signed to Atlantic, too. But yeah. we love Atlantic. But they also had Overkill and yeah. Testament. But right. Atlanta, Atlantic was like buying every, every buying up every single metal band mm. on the planet oh at that time. Wow. That was kind of funny. It is funny. There was quite a, a scramble. Mm. 
But uh, White Lion was uh, goes back know. goes back to what uh, um, uh, Ross the Boss said. You know, they were sign- when they were signing every band with hairspray. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it went yeah. down. Um, they uh, they had when when the children cry, which was number eight. That uh, was a big song. Mm-hmm. Tell me. And uh, most some of these albums went to number one. Um, they also did a cover of Radar Love. Mm. Uh, they, their later album was produced by Richie Zito, who also did Poison, Mr. Big, oh, yeah. Elton John, Cher, The Cult, and Bad English. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm not going to talk about it this anymore because it's really getting me upset. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's White Lion, and someday we might talk to White Lion. Yeah, someday, yeah. And someday we might talk to Mike Tramp. Or Vito, or Greg, or James. We won't play this show for him. (laughs) (laughs) This show will not be played, but it's cool. If you like the song Wait, which I know a lot of people do, um, there's there's also an extended remix, which Mm. I wasn't aware there was one. Really? Uh, In the 80s, it was just a club thing for clubs. A longer solo, guitar solo? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. It just says Wait, extended remix. Hmm. And uh, We'll have to not listen to that. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, that was the Pride album in 1987. So that's all I have to say about that. White Lion. (laughs) Gotta have a drum roll. Yes! All right, this one's a big one. It's kind of cool. I'm a King Crimson fan. Oh, yeah. You're a King Crimson fan. Yes, yes. This is a two. It's called The Elements from King Crimson. Uh, It's a two-CD set featuring material from every King Crimson lineup from 1969 to wow. 2019. Oh, that's cool. It's, uh... It's Everybody will get Elements some change. Tour Box 2020, okay. even oh. though there wasn't a tour. I guess there was a tour, but... I guess they cut the tour in half, and it will occur in 2021. Uh, mm. Obviously, virus pending. Yep. Um, it's supposedly a very cool set. It's packaged in a digipack-style bookcase with 24-page booklet. Uh, introductory notes by Robert Fripp and sleeve notes by Sid Smith. Uh, it features many extracts and tracks appearing on CD for the very first time, including many of the current lineup. Mm. Um, as with previous tour boxes, the 2020 Elements box covers the full spectrum of crimsoning. This one with music and lineups from 1969 to 2019. Wow. This one represents a mostly live, mostly new to CD selection of material, including four tracks taken from the 2019 tour. This two, in keeping with the theme of Sid's notes, discussed below, presents pieces played occasionally by the current lineup, Exiles in Sheltering Sky, pieces from the studio, both King Crimson and Robert Fripp, that were never completed or were developed in different ways. Mm. Material that never made it to studio recordings, like songs like The Errors, Dr. Diamond, and Trees, Guts on My Side, all combined to present a convincing musical counter-history of the band. So, yeah. Very cool. That's kind of kind of cool, I thought. Yeah, I think so. I, how many people... Uh, that's probably how many people have been in that band 20 it's been a lot right a lot yeah I bet Larry uh, our buddy Larry could answer that in two yeah seconds. that's right yeah he's a huge or fan. Scott yeah. for that matter but um yeah it's uh it's cool when bands uh dig into the the vaults and mm-hmm. pull stuff out for fans yeah and uh it's a shame that they didn't get to do the tour but uh, it got cut short 
and uh, yeah, like everything else. But they're they're still going ahead with the release, which is cool because I'm sure there's a lot of King Crimson fans that are dying. Just gonna love that. Yeah. Oh yeah, awesome as always. So yep. that's it for this week in vinyl, <laughs> in vinyl, vinyl, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Ow! A rip roaring rock and roll show, and this was probably the biggest one. I keep saying that, but. <laughs> You know, it's like Nickel McBrain. Every Iron Maiden album was the greatest one we've ever done. It's bigger but, and bigger and bigger. Every show feels like the biggest one we've done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so excited. Uh, we Snyder, would love to yeah. thank D, Rick Emmett, and, uh, and yep. Zach. And, and Zach thank, Whitford. Yep. Thank uh, Napalm Records, and we want to thank... Um, Round Hill Records. That's right, yeah, for all of the uh, Rick Emmett uh, material and Triumph material. But And please check out Zach's photos on his Instagram page. Yep, Look that's him right. Up. Zach Woodford, yep. You're really, uh, follow him on Instagram, check him out. His work is amazing. Oh, yeah, and he's seen history. I mean, the Oscars, many other award shows, and of course, Aerosmith. So cool. So, so cool. As Dee said uh, in his uh, wonderful interview, uh, get out there, experience the world, live mm -hmm. your life. Travel if you can. Travel. Get that perspective, yep. Get that perspective, and yep. uh, I'm blown away. Yeah, we thank you for everything and so much more coming your way. Check this out. Yeah. There is despair coming off your skin. I can smell it when you say my name. You love to gamble, but you never